Hey, everybody. Welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of MileMarker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of MileMarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Connected. I am your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker, and today I have the privilege of being joined by Steve Simmons. Steve is the founder and CEO of Restin, which is a an MSP and IT provider, which we're excited to talk about today. Steve is also a resident of Maryland. He is a, a, a man of many things, but perhaps most importantly, his daughter is getting married in September, so he has the project manager hat now of incredible event planner. Steve, did I miss anything in that intro? I, I think I think we're uh, we're we're good. The the, the uh, uh, wedding is definitely exercising all of my executive presence and uh, in, intelligence to try to to get that to happen on time, on budget, and with a successful outcome. Oh, I love it. And we're going to talk about that a lot more. But thanks so much for joining the show today, man. It's a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here. First question I always just love to ask people is like, how did you how did you get into this? How did you get, you know, how did you wind up doing this and, and helping wealth management firms with IT and security and compliance? So I like to say that I wrote my first line of code in 1980, 81, 1981. I was in kindergarten at the time. So I, I've kind of been in and around computers for a very, very long time. I see computers a little bit differently than a lot of geeks of my, my ilk. And the fact that I, I, I see the, the person at the end of it as the primary purpose of it. And so rather than getting caught up into the, you know, just the technology, you know, unmitigated by the human story around it, I like to see the human impact and understand how people are using technology, how people are trying to get an advantage for themselves, for their businesses, for their enterprises using it. And so whether that's in software development and innovation around the ERPs and CRMs and other enterprise software people you know, use for their businesses, or more recently with Reston, focusing on the actual infrastructure that gives us an advantage, I think people think about IT as a cost center and that people focus has made it so that instead we can start seeing how the most commonplace decisions you make around the laptops you're choosing, the desktops you're choosing, the tablets you're choosing, what cybersecurity posture you're taking, what are the tool sets and the platforms you're building into how you're solving compliance, all sound like just cost center, boring, painful, you know, suffering. But when we turn around and say, how can we make this a user experience that is delightful? How can we make it so that it's more convenient, more enjoyable to do our work every day, to get the technology out of the way and empower people to go and do what they do best, which is build their relationships, build their businesses and grow their, their services offerings in the, in the space. It was kind of that vision that kind of drew us into the MSP space and said, you know what, there's different areas of IT that you can focus on. The thing that people are getting the wrong the most and think that there really isn't an answer to, that they kind of get defeated mindsets and go, I, I, I think it's as good as it's gonna get and just look the other way and hope it goes away, was all those basic infrastructure uh, decisions. And so helping folks realize that actually there's a huge competitive advantage waiting for them in those most mundane decisions and helping them set up a stack and a, a infrastructure that's stable, scalable, secure, and the competitive advantage for their businesses is a lot of fun for us. That is awesome. I love the the idea of like 
you know, how, how'd you say it? Like putting, or, you know, thinking about the human element of it first, right? And allowing the technology to serve the human element rather than the other way around. I think that's right, that a lot of people in tech and all of that just are really fascinated with building the best tinker toy or how do we make these things, you know, it's like putting Legos together rather than just, you know, focusing on how to serve others. And that's a, that's a cool mindset. And you see it also play out in like the research that's been done around social media and some of the detrimental effects. And you look at the engineering and you ask, was the engineering actually designed around the human or was the human just offering to the technology? And it's the same thing. How many of us feel like we're a victim when our machine isn't doing what we wanted to do, right? And, and it's just, this is, the, this is how business works. This is what you got to do. Excel is just a pain. You know, the outlook's just what it is. No, no, actually, you can have a good experience. You can have that be just a servant to you and, and be able to go out and actually take care of things that, that, that matter with your time rather than wasting your time doing things that are of low value to you. That's awesome. Well, and so I think that's a good time actually to talk about this. So you mentioned that that Reston is an MSP. For those people who might not know, so tell us, you know, what does MSP stand for and what does an MSP company do? Sure. So MSP stands for Managed Service Provider. And that just means that we are your outsourced, you know, team, your embedded team taking care of everything having to do with your, your IT infrastructure, your technology, your, your desktop endpoint devices like laptops, desktops, tablets, you know, mobile devices, your servers, your networks, all of the component pieces, your cloud services you're choosing, your vendor management around, you know, do I want to use Microsoft or do I want to use Google? Do I want to use, you know, Orion? Do I want to use, you know, Redtail? Whatever it is, all the different decisions that go into the infrastructure that you use every day in order to deliver your services in the, in the space. That's really good. And so I think there's, there's a call out there that you're really good at talking about, which is, you know, I think when a lot of people in our space talk about technology or they talk about that, they're really talking about, okay, how do I use Orion better? How do I do that? But you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm not, your Reston's not necessarily the team that is going to help you with that or, or help you determine whether Orion is better than this or is better than that. But once you decide, hey, these are the vendors we're going to work with, Reston is going to make sure all of that is, is secure. It's hooked up to your network the way it needs to be, that it is working with your firm the way it needs to be, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you think about IT, I think there's kind of four areas of IT. We've got a compliance, which in this industry is paramount, and we have to check that box. We've got security, which is necessary to the survival of our, our businesses. We've got support, which is just every day when we get stuck, having somebody who knows and has the, the subject matter expertise in order to get us unstuck in a timely fashion. And then we have strategic progress. And the MSP is those first three things. We specialize in compliance, security, and support. So when you're looking at the Orions and Black Diamonds and other you know, tool sets in this space, when you align the component pieces that make your business function and sing, we're the ones who are going to kind of stitch that together and, and, and ensure that your user access controls are in place, your principal of least privileges that, you know, acknowledge that you have single sign-on and, uh, you know, kind of a seamless user experience that uh, makes sure the, the data flows, you know, and, 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 and connects in the way that, you know, people promised it would so you have what you need where you need it, that you're, and that the security controls and compliance requirements are met as you go through that vendor management uh, lifecycle. And that's why we, we love the mile marker for the strategic progress front to really imagine how can you use your data better? How can you take your business to the next level and start to be able to serve your client in new different ways? And so we, we come in and partner with strategic you know, technology vendors, whether it, it be the platform vendors themselves or service vendors like mile marker to really, really provide a great infrastructure you can stand on so you can not worry about the details of, all right, 
who's controlling the user access, you know, who's decide, deciding on the roles that people are going to you know, play in the organization, who's going to make sure that the endpoints are trusted and secured, and who's going to make sure the network is in place, and how are we managing the, all the uh, compliance, security, and support concerns you have around your technology today that your, your cousin Vinny or your assistant is worrying about uh, for you and, and is getting frustrated that they're beyond their, their ski tips on, we can come in and just make that you know, an easy you know, advantage for you. Yeah, and I I, th I actually wanted to talk about that a little bit deeper. I love these sort of four pieces or four pillars of IT because I think it actually lends itself to the conversation of how not all MSPs are created equal, right? Before I met you, I thought MSPs just sort of gave you your laptop, did you know asset management for you of tracking how many laptops did you have, and they were there, the quintessential cliche thing, but they were there to help you reset your password when you got shut out, right? But- yeah, just, just reboot, Kyle, just reboot. Yes. I mean, that's <laughs> IT, isn't it? Like, that's the whole thing. Turn it off and turn it back on again. And there's certainly a lot of MSPs that do that. They'll just set up Outlook for you. They're, you know, they'll manage laptops for you and they're there to reset your password if you need it, but they're not providing that compliance and they're not, probably not providing the, the security thing. So, you know, it, it, for, the, for the people out there listening who, who might want to use an MSP, how do they go through this? How do they know what's a good MSP versus just people who say, yeah, I'm a managed service provider? Because if you don't have that expertise, it might be easy to feel like they're all one and the same. It is a, a very common problem. We actually run into MSPs all the time who just say, we won't serve financial services. Mm. It's, it's too hard. It's too complicated. It's changing all the time. The regulators are forever moving forward and you know, you know, altering the requirements for us. And it's just, it's, it's too much of a moving target. Like we're out. But even within the space of folks who want to uh, be of service and take care of, you know, uh, folks and give people the ability to protect their businesses, protect their data, protect their client relationships. It is. It is a is a tough market. We've specialized and spent the last you know several years really doing our research and and figuring out what is that moving target and how can we best address the requirements that we have both from a compliance point of view and from a security point of view. You might say, well, those sound like they should both be the same thing. If it's compliance secure, isn't it? And what we're what we we see every day is that no, actually, those are two different requirements, and you have to figure out a way to strategically mesh them together and and do something that's going to meet meet both of them in a way that actually supports the business, right? So it's easy to say, you know, the old thing of, of freedom and security are, are opposed to each other, right? They're, they're two different sides of the same coin. You can't be both free and secure. And that's our aspiration every day is to give you the ability to have the context, the protection in order to act in a free manner in pursuing your business, pursuing the relationships, having and serving, you know, the people you want to love in your life. And, and how can you do that if you're not protecting their data? I like to say, you know, how would you like it if, you know, your best friend went out in the public square and shouted your social security number for anybody to hear, right? And people go, well, no, no good friend would do that. I'm like, right. So cybersecurity and uh, the stuff we do every day and we face from a compliance point of view, a security point of view, and a support point of view are giving you the tools such that you don't accidentally go shout somebody's social security number in the public square. And so if, if you think about MSPs and how to uh, select an MSP, you want somebody who knows the industry, you want somebody who's going to kind of front run and be reading the cases as they come out. And the SEC has a finding and they say, you know, now all broker dealers are responsible for their associated persons. Technical controls that happened in the, the KMS, Financial, Cetera and Cambridge. Those three fines came out. And in there, the SEC kind of highlighted the fact that we're as a broker dealer, you're responsible for not just the old school, like decades old thought of attestation, right? Like, well, you have a cybersecurity policy and you attest that it's the same as the broker dealers, but now all your associated persons 
have to have technical controls that you as the broker dealer are exercising. Well, if you look, what systems do you have in place that allow you to exercise technical controls on your advisors? Most broker dealers today are looking at a certain situation where they don't have those technical controls yet in place. An MSP would be a partner who'd come in with that knowledge, that expertise, and, and walk you through and give you a roadmap and then implement with you. It's not just a you know, here's what you should do and point you in the direction, hope that you can do it yourself. But we're going to bring the subject matter experts in order to implement that infrastructure such that you don't have to worry anymore of whether or not you're in line with what the compliance uh, and regulatory regime is, is asking for. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think there's value there, too. So, you know, the question we hear a lot is, well, should I just hire in-house IT, right? I can I can just go kind of hire IT staff or I could work with an MSP. For you, is that is it kind of a, a number of employees thing or like what do you see out there when it's like, hey, you should bring this in house versus continue working with an MSP or like what what makes somebody a better fit for an MSP versus bringing people in house that all they focus on is that one specific client and that's, you know, setting up yeah. their infrastructure and all of that sort of stuff. So having been on both sides of the shop, having been a CIO for uh, the number two Inc. 500 firm back in 2012, and, and running internal IT and now uh, being on the MSP side. When I was a CIO, I always used an MSP for my infrastructure support because the fact is, is that to retain all the different subject matter experts you need, you need a scale of organization that most firms just don't ever get to. When you get to large enterprise, having an in-house IT team makes all sense in the world. You can have a system administrator for every platform you have. You can afford the the staffing to do it. And even they often will use MSPs just for the controlling the spend and getting economies of scale. I think it's one of those things where you say, is this something where it's really central to my business? And I, I've heard this on this podcast you know, numerous different times. The whole idea of fractional is, is this something where I'm actually differentiating myself and going to uh, come to the market being an expert, and this is one of the core value propositions of my business, right? So if your business really is an IT business and you're a software company and you need to you know, specialize in that, then absolutely hire the, the folks to make that one of your core competencies. If it's not, the likelihood that you could hire someone who has the right skill set or that you'll understand if they're actually functioning properly in the job and it is, is much lower than you might expect. And so the easy way to, to simplify that is to get that economy of scale to kind of the central shared services uh, model and think about if you're a big, large enterprise, I worked for a Fortune 50 for a while, and they do everything by central shared services, right? They have different business lines, they have different, you know, operations, they have different offices, they have different, you know, things happening all over the place. But they find these, these things like legal and HR and finance and, and IT, and they say, this is something that's common to all of our businesses. Regardless of what you're doing, you need IT and you need to work properly. We need to have security in place. We need to have your, your endpoint, you know, stable, secure, and functional. So whatever you happen to be doing, whether you're in this role or that role, you have the infrastructure you need. And so MSPs really are that central shared services experience for the small and mid-sized enterprise. Love it. You know, I think even uh, it's, it's a little bit educational to me that, you know, even a lot of these larger places with big IT staffs are probably still relying on MSPs in some ways. And, and it's the, it is, it's the message we talk a lot about here. If that is not your core competency, if that's not your genius, why are you trying to figure that out all of the time? Let people who've already figured it out for you do that so that you can continue focusing on your best and highest use of time. And, I, and that's why I, I've loved the relationship with you and getting to know you a little bit better is, I, I have a hard time thinking about, you know, what wealth management firm would it be their best and highest use of time to figure this stuff out? Yet they all have to do it because of compliance and security and regs. And, 
And so I want to talk about that a little bit. There were some recent changes that, that you're really on top of. This shows kind of the value of you being an MSP, but recent changes to the regulatory environment for, for different things when it comes to cybersecurity, when it comes to this IT compliance. Talk about that a little bit. Like, you know, sure. a lot of people here might not even know about that. So educate us a bit on what's coming down the pipe from a regulatory environment. So in May of 2021, Joe Biden put out an executive order instructing all of the federal agencies to adopt a zero trust maturity model for cybersecurity. Really quick, what does zero trust mean, Steve? For those, so let me know. let me just uh, enlighten you on that front. So zero trust sounds terrible in the in the financial services space. You're like, we do everything through trusted relationships, and we're building these. Really, why would I want anything zero trust? And it's it's one of those like geeky things that just kind of came into the tech space, and then we've all adopted it, which was. For a long, long time, right? Network security has been thought about as creating a fortress. You create a perimeter and then you put the beefiest tools you can afford that are commercially reasonable for your business on it. So you're getting your, your checkpoints and your Cisco's and your Junipers, whatever else, and you're building this, this fortress and you hide inside the fortress and you assume that anybody you put in that fortress is safe because you trust the wall. And what we've seen is that's why the number one cybersecurity attack vector in America today is phishing, spear phishing, and uh, social engineering, because no matter what technical control I put into that perimeter, if I can convince you to give up your credential or to give up information or to share data as a human, I can game the human brain to get in that fortress, tell somebody in the fortress to do something malicious for me, they intentionally or not intentionally participate and you end up with a ransomware infection or you end up with you know, a, a malicious you know, data hack or, or breach. So zero trust has been around as a conversation piece, as an academic thought for a very long time of saying, if instead of looking at that fence around your business, you say, how can I actually identify the people who are authorized to do this activity, authorized to have access to this data, are the ones doing that activity and accessing that data? And what's really cool is technology is now caught up. So it was, it was a kind of like, we're, we're going to make it to the moon within this decade when Joe Biden said, we're all going to be zero trust. It was like, we're right on the cusp of that, but we're not really there yet, buddy. But in the last uh, two years, we've spent an inordinate amount of time uh, building out a zero trust platform that we can now deploy to all of our uh, customers that really does look at it from how can I know that you are the person you say you are? How can I know that you're using a device that we've cleaned, ensured the health of and, and secured such that it's not going to be a risk to the user's not a risk, the device is not a risk? How can we look at that network and ensure that you're coming through somewhere where it is a secured encrypted connection that's encrypted at rest, encrypted in transit? And then how can we have all of our services, our platforms, our, our tool sets, our applications know and recognize that you're participating in all those different layers of authentication. And if we can do that on a session by session basis, we can create a world in which we now have zero trust in the context you find yourself in and 100% trust in the system we've deployed, which means if you think about it from an advisor point of view, the world of the old VPN and worrying about where you are and thinking about, do I need to log in this extra thing in order to get somewhere is going away. And now that device and you and your multi-factor you know, authentication device next to it can go anywhere. You can work from you know, anywhere in the world. You can work from a coffee shop. You can work from your home office. You work from a big corporate office. You work from a client site. And you have the same infrastructure supporting you, the same tools defending you, and you have the same degree of, of protection as you would have anywhere. And so we no longer have to trust, that's the zero trust piece of it, we no longer have to trust the old school you know, tools and worry about, well, which network am I on? Am I at the airport? Can I, what can I do at the airport? What can I do at Starbucks? What can I do? Like, it's not a matter anymore. It's like, I'm here. I have the device that you know, I know I trust, and I'm doing what I'm authorized to do. And because we can verify that down to the granular level now, 
uh, were able to, to deploy that. And we have, we think, one of the very first zero trust platforms fully built out and ready for financial advisors in the industry. Yeah, that, that's really cool. So here's one thing I want to talk about, though, because this is a little bit of a little bit of a pet peeve for me as I as I look at things, which is I am fully on board with things being as compliant and secure and all of that as possible. Like nobody wants to, to be the one who opens things up. But a lot of the security measures people put in place create terrible user experiences for the people who are trying to do things. So going back to you, know, you sort of talking about your purpose and passion earlier in this is, hey, how do we start with the human element, but then also provide the answer. And I know this is a give and take, Steve, but it's like if you have to you know, do two factor authentication and log, you know, every single time and all of that, it can drive, you know, the, the normal person just absolutely crazy. So what are some of your ideas, or best what's... practices, tips for good user experience while being secure? What's really exciting about the way we've built our zero trust solution is that for the first time in my decades experience, the uh, IT executive, I am seeing tools uh, that we are able to put together in such a way that we can deliver a more convenient and more secure experience. And so we've talked about single sign-on, seamless sign-on for for a very, very long time. Multi-factor authentication kind of came in and blew a lot of that up and made it so it was once again clunky and awkward and we're going crazy. We're actually building out a a platform that we can deploy for, for folks that will allow them to aggregate their access controls, their role management, their principles of leave privilege, their segregation of duties, all the other requirements they have from a compliance point of view into a, a user experience where you can log into your device, right? You multi-factor to get into your device. And then from there, you can just work without having to re-authenticate across your performance management tool, your financial planning tool, your email tool, your you know, books and records system. And because we can build that infrastructure, it is uh, really Amazing! I can basically say we've we've actually found the promised land of more convenient, more empowering, and more secure. I love to hear that because I'm sure there's a lot of people nodding their head as I say that. But you're exactly oh right. God, you, yeah. <laughs> you you log into your initial machine, and then you're like the yeah, every tool. It's like I'm I'm doing I'm spending more time typing in codes and you know all of that. that I mean, it's crazy. It's and I get it. We got to be secure. And it was sort of like a mentality of, hey, they can put up with some inconvenience to, you know, to, to, for the betterment of the company and all of that stuff. But um, and, I'm glad and to the hear that. The thing to think about is, I mean, we're always one step ahead. This is, you know, cybersecurity really is a war. It's like a competition and the bad guys are moving at a pace and the good guys are moving at a pace. And there's any given point in time advantage to one side or the other. And if you think in the financial services space, there is a lot. You talk about putting in codes. We have, you know, SMS codes or other, other forms of multi-factor authentication that have come into the industry over time. And obviously, anytime you can add an additional factor, that, that, that's good. That's better than nothing at all. But each time there's a new method, there's somebody who's figuring out how to crack it. If you uh, look at the SolarWinds supply chain attack that came in and, and bypassed a multi-factor authentication method in order to get in and, and cause that breach. And so one of the amazing things about Zero Trust is looking at moving that to protocols and other tool sets that let you secure and defend against the lesser forms of authentication and focus on the greater forms of authentication because you don't have to do them as frequently. So you're more comfortable with, say, a FIDO2 key or with an authenticator app where you might used to do an SMS text code, which is inconvenient in the extreme. So talking a little bit about this Zero Trust platform, it makes me think of something too, which is I think for all business owners, one thing we're, we strive to do is like, we want to prevent fires more than run around fighting them all the time. And I think with IT related things, there's an inherent amount of firefighting, right? It's a lot of whack-a-mole. It's a lot of this, that, and the other thing. 
Maybe the answer is this platform you've been working on, but talk to us a little bit about for the, for the average listener here, you know, they're probably running a wealth management firm, things like that. You know, what can they do to help them prevent fires more than just have to, you know, be fighting them and dealing with them on a regular basis? I think it's a, a very similar to what you, you do in the sense that when I say IT to the common business owner or advisor, you can just see their face drop. It's like, <laughs> right? In the same way that I'm sure when you say data, people are like, I know intellectually there's an opportunity. I know we have all sorts of unlockable value. I know like we could get an advantage, but like it's going to be so painful and it's going to be so much suffering. Like, do I really want to engage? Do I want to look honestly at what I've got? Like we go to Best Buy and we buy the laptop anytime something breaks. And, you know, when the printer dies, you know, or stops printing, you just like, I don't know, you buy another one because it's not that expensive. Like I have a break fix mentality. And I think we do the same thing with, with our, our data and you would be able to speak to that far better than me. But where, you know, all these systems are producing all this data all the time. And are we really using it? No. Do we think we could? Probably. Are we going to pull the trigger to do something about it? We definitely intend to. It's in our roadmap. It's next month. We're definitely getting there. And it's the same thing with IT of break fix as an IT mentality is a overtime far more expensive route. I mean, if you think about this, a single ransomware attack on average, a single, single breach on average right now, if you take all the impact of business and you know, paid out you know, fines and fees and, and remuneration or whatever, in America today right now is over $4 million in a cost, right? And that's, that's incredible, right? And you look at that, and if you have a break-fix mentality, you're incurring risk that you, it's very hard to assess, and the likelihood that you have, I, I don't know how many CEOs I've talked to have said, have you had a data breach? And they say, no. And I say, well, how do you know? And they have no answer because they aren't monitoring, they aren't managing, they aren't looking at, they would have no way to see. You know, there, there are breaches that it takes on average in a well-matured IT environment, two weeks or more to discover. 60% of breaches are actually discovered by external actors rather than internal actors because people's infrastructure is so mature. There's, there's a huge and growing threat where we aren't even you know, aware we've been compromised sometimes because of the, the immaturity of it. So if you think about the risk you're taking by having your you know, cousin Bob or, or, or Jane do the, the, the work instead of having a mature operating model, if you look at the requirements from a compliance point of view, they're all maturity requirements. They're looking at, at saying, all right, where are you today? If you look at the NIST framework, there's four different tiers of maturity. And just let's be honest. Let's see where we are today. How do we do things? Do we have policies and procedures in place? Do we have standard operating procedures in the event of a, of a incident, in the event of a breach? Do we have the ability to, and do we have a partner who can help us do the, the, the protection in the first place or do the response in the second place? It's all looking at maturity models. It's saying, I, I get your small business. I guess this isn't your expertise. I guess this isn't your, your first love. But there's enormous power to be had if you can get onto an incredible enterprise platform. And so the question is, have you thought about what it would be like if you as a small business owner had access to infrastructure like a large enterprise had and could use that in a, you know, in a commercially reasonable way? And so I think it's a, it's a very similar thing across all of IT of saying a lot of people don't even ask the question because they're afraid of the answer. And I think what you'll discover is if you start asking the question of what value do I have in my data, right? I know, I know that's an issue near and dear to your heart. And if you start realizing that the amazing power you get for decision making and other things out of getting you know, better access, more transparent access, more you know, intentional access to your data, it's the same thing with your systems. You might look today and say, I, don't, I just don't want to know. Like, I know it's a problem. I know it's an issue. 
your advisors are wasting hours a week in technology issues that they are not specialists in, that they're not experts in, and that they're just suffering through trying to Google for, for an answer because there's nobody they can just call. And that, that's the same kind of force multiplier. You're going to discover an incredible like opening up of their focus, their attention, and their, their ability to just do their work, build the relationships, grow their you know, uh, clients' assets, you know, have, it, have that uh, you know, advantage as you realize that a mature operating platform, while it, it, the upfront costs are, are obviously higher because you're choosing to put, put money in ahead, it's mitigating downstream you know, uh, black swan events, and it's giving you efficiencies and productivity every day in your uh, advisor's life cycle. I love that. <clears throat> I think a lot of entrepreneurs, which is what most you know, wealth management firms and people running them are, they're, they're all entrepreneurs, have this mentality of like, there's honor in being the one to figure it out all the time. But I, I feel like this is becoming a little bit of a catchphrase for me. It's just like, you don't always have to be the one to figure it out, right? right. You know, there's, because there's the, the mountain of things to figure out is ever growing and it's never gonna go down to zero. So enlist some partners who can help you figure some of this stuff out. You shouldn't have to do it alone and you should be able to, to leverage experts to, to do this. So. I have a selfish question that I would love for you to talk a little bit about, but you're one of the few people that I've encountered, you know, in, in our industry and in the technology side who, who kind of really understood and ar could articulate back the benefits of Snowflake, you know, in the industry. So lots, yeah. of, lots of people hear us talk about Snowflake. They, they sort of, you know, hear it, but I, I'd love for you to sort of share like from, from where you've sat, you know, on the, on the IT side, from where you sit and, and looking at how data works inside of these, these places, like, Give, some, give the people some ideas of, you know, the benefits of Snowflake and why they should think about that and, and, and why they should think about incorporating it. In our industry, everybody kind of aspires to find that wealth management platform, right? And various companies have tried to break into the space and be that wealth management one-stop shop that does everything. And what we discover is jack of all trades, master of none. And so if you look at the different tools that come available, there are some phenomenal tools across this industry for everything from risk analysis and management to trading to performance management to, to all financial planning, all of the different tools that come available. And you look, you say, if I want to give my clients the best experience possible, I want to be able to use the best of breed solution for each of these different elements. And so when we look at, at trying to adopt a single platform, you know you're giving something up. And you go, oh, well, I'm, I'm willing to do that because it's integrated. And then you ask the, you ask the question, say, all right, so if the only reason you're doing this, you're, you're giving up some of the financial planning tools that you would otherwise have. You're giving up some of the performance management tools you would otherwise have. You're giving up some of the, and you're giving them all up just because it's integrated. And you go, wait a second, is there another way to solve this problem? Could I use the best of breed vendors in this marketplace to get you know, the best experience for my clients and the answer is, with a tool like Snowflake, yes. All of a sudden, what was incredibly hard, heavyweight, we used to talk about, you know, service-oriented architecture and web services and, you know, APIs and, you know, integrations and database replication and go down the list of all the different things that we've used to try to solve multi-party, third-party data integrations over the years. And we're coming to a point of maturity in that space where all of a sudden the opportunity to create a full a uh, single view of the truth, single source of uh, you know, uh, uh, data records you know, around your client and the entire ecosystem of data, everything you know in one place is becoming a reality. So rather than thinking about your one platform as going to a vendor that's a, a software app vendor and getting all the different features and having them be an expert in every single feature you need from social security planning and estate planning to you, you name it, 
you're not going to find that. And because you're not going to find that, you need to, to partner with someone like a mile marker who can say, let's look at all the data you have. Let's come up with an intelligent you know, path to leverage a tool like Snowflake that will give us the technological infrastructure to uh, bring all that data in one place and start seeing where the value is, how we can unlock that value. How could you be pre more prepared for every aspect of that client's uh, life when you walk into that meeting? What do you do to, in your meeting prep that'll give you the ability to give that client good advice? You know, when you think about just the basic requirements of, of law and, and, and regulation of how you're backing up your decision making to make an informed recommendation, even there, we have limited tools today. We have to look in multiple places. You've got four screens open. Everybody's got the multi-tab browser as their integration tool today. Wouldn't it be cool if you didn't have to spend four hours peeling through four different tools or six different tools or eight different tools, and instead you had that single view that you could deliver as a you know client portal, or you could deliver as an advisor portal, or you could choose how you want to use that to your advantage to have actual access to your full books and record system, your full uh, and all the tools that stack on top of that in order to deliver a truly unified view of the truth. And so one of the reasons I love Mile Marker and what you guys are doing over there is that you're really market leading on bringing the best of breed tools to allow folks to integrate their data from all the different disparate sources they have into that kind of empowering view of both their business, their enterprise, their assets under management, their portfolio, and the individual people that let them be focused and, and tell that, that story to that individual client to, to help them understand how they can best read their you know, matters of importance and their, their goals. A hundred percent. And I think... You know, what, what you talked a lot about there, too, is being able to use the best of breed tools. So not only do you want to have the ability to do that, but the other thing that we talk or hear a lot is we want to be open architecture, right? The people come to partner with us because they want independence. They don't want everything dictated to them. Well, the challenge is from an infrastructure perspective, if your open architecture is just a collection of a bunch of apps, you will never actually be able to control the experience or provide a seamless one because this firm, who is a great partner of yours, getting support from you and you like them, is using six pieces of best of breed technology that this one isn't. And yes, you're empowering independence and you're allowing that, but you have to control that architecture, even if it's open, right? You know, you have to control that. And I think that's the biggest pain point we're, we're seeing people try to solve is how do we let firms maintain their independence, but, but we still have some semblance of control and it's not just IT anarchy. Yeah, uh, imagine not being married to a vendor because of the data they hold over your head, but instead being able to choose the vendors you want as your needs change yes. because your data is intact throughout whatever transition you're gonna choose. What an incredibly empowering thing that would be. 100%. I wanna move into what we call our beyond the bio section. So we've had a great time talking about clearly uh, shared and exhibited a lot of expertise about IT security and compliance. I think there's a lot of knowledge there. You know, but one thing I wanted to talk about, so I saw you're an Eagle Scout. So talk to us about, <laughs> you know, what, what, you know, what was that experience like and how, how do you feel like that's helped you, you know, throughout life becoming an Eagle Scout? Man, that, that was what, 1991, uh, became an Eagle Scout. And I love my, the, my time with the Boy Scouts. I love the training modules that they developed in the form of merit badges. And the, just the idea of being a well-rounded, high-integrity human being, really building the, the foundations for command and for leadership and for thinking outside of the box and, and realizing the, the mechanisms of survival, sticking yourself into uh, circumstances where I, I remember Campion Valley Forge in the middle of uh, winter and it was negative uh, 19 degrees and the wind was blowing so hard that the first night one of the kids was setting up his tent, the wind picked up the, the tent as he was trying to peg it down and it just disappeared. We never found the tent again. It was gone, right? You can't replicate that. That's like, all right, now what are we going to do? And so he slept in my tent and we were, you know, uh, warm and uh, warmer than everybody else. We had more, multiple people in our tent. And we learned that uh, body heat's a great, uh, great thing to have. 
So I think when when you think about any you know human problem, leadership really is what every single human being was called to do. Our purpose is, as human beings is to lead. And whether you find yourself at the bottom of an organization, top of the organization, whatever your role is, the Boy Scouts really kind of show and demonstrate that every single scout is called to be a leader, whether you're the, the patrol leader, the senior patrol leader, or just a member of, of one of the patrols, you succeed and you thrive and you survive together as you realize your role in, in leadership. And I've taken that through the rest of my life. And it's not that we have you know flat organizations or we need to you know alter the titles we give people, but just realizing that regardless of your title, you have an opportunity to have an impact. You have an opportunity to leave a legacy. You have an opportunity to make the world a better place because you were part of it. We always leave the campsite better than we found it. And that's true regardless of whether it's an IT system or it's a, a client relationship. It should always be better because I was there. Oh, man. Yeah, there, we probably could have a whole nother, you know hour-long podcast talking just about that. There's so much there, but I love that. And it's something I want to use as a seg into, into something else I know, thinking about leaving the campsite better, being, you know, everybody's a leader. You know, for those of you who can't see the video on this, so, so Steve actually uh, has two fingernails that are painted blue, and it's something that you'll, you'll notice about him if you ever meet him. I know that's about a cause that's near and dear to your heart, and it's a way that you're trying to lead and, and leave the proverbial campsite better than you found it. So tell the world why you have blue fingernails, because I don't think that's, a, you know, something you would typically choose to do. Yeah, no, it's uh, both my ring fingers are painted blue and um, it's an initiative uh, we're calling hashtag start the conversation. And we're starting the conversation around the fact that today in America, one in four girls and one in six boys will experience sexual violence before the age of 18. And the statistic is so jaw dropping, so appalling, so just incredibly like epidemic pandemic in proportion that oftentimes it just boggles the mind. You just want to look the other direction. And so we want to just start the conversation and say, you know, if, if you feel awkward or if you feel uncomfortable talking about sexual abuse of, of, of children and the challenges that children are facing every day, imagine how much more terrifying it is to be that kid in a world where nobody's comfortable talking about it. The average time for a girl to report to anybody, if she reports at all, is four years. The average time for a boy to report it, if he reports at all, is 20 years. And so that's what we want to change. We want to make it so that this is something where we're talking about the fact that people have bodily autonomy, that you have right to your own body. What, what is healthy privacy? What are healthy boundaries? And how can we have age-appropriate conversations such that children know that they can talk? They don't have to keep secrets. That's one of the big ones is if, if it's a healthy relationship with an adult, that adult will not ask you to keep a secret. If an adult is asking you to keep a secret, something is wrong and you need to find your trusted adults, whether it's your family or it's, you know, your counselors at school or, you know, find the, the, the adults in your life that, that can, you know, protect you, step in. It's never going to be true that the victim is going to be able to defend themselves. And so we need to find as a culture a way we can culturally move it such that we want children to report. We want children to find the help they need. We want children to not suffer in silence anymore. We want to start the conversation. That's, you know, an incredible cause. And I, I, you know, one that I'm sure a lot of people would feel, you know, uncomfortable here. I, you know, you say those stats, you and I've talked about it before, but even, even now I, I like, I'm like, you, yeah, you kind of just, <laughs> I just hope it goes away. Could it just go away? Yeah, yeah, it's, like, that's just terrible. Yeah. Um, um, and, and we did just have a big awareness raising around child sex trafficking with the Sound of Freedom movie. If you haven't seen yeah. Sound of Freedom, I would highly encourage you to go out and see Sound of Freedom. True story of the folks who were on the front lines fighting that every day. Under the Biden administration so far, 85,000 children have gone missing at the borders, and that's just the ones we know about, right? Mm -hmm. So child sexual abuse and child sex trafficking are closely related, not the same issue, but very closely related. 
And it's it's the the problem the challenging our times. I think it's it's a cultural evolution we need to and revolution we need to have in order to to become a place where it's safe to grow up. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I think that's cool because because uh, that that you're that you're involved in this and that and that people are starting the conversation because again, we can talk about all the work stuff, but it's like you know this is this is what it's for. And I'm going to end this with kind of how we started, right? Which is you're trying to figure out how to focus on the human element of this and let technology get out of the way, and then the causes you care about. You know, it's clear that that's the same thing. So I appreciate you sharing that. Appreciate the opportunity to hopefully start some of the conversation here. So as we wrap up, uh, you know, two things. Number one, if people want to help start that conversation, I guess they can check out that hashtag. But is there is there anything else they can they can do to look into that? Um, so, yeah, hashtag uh, start the conversation. We're on Instagram and Facebook and all the regular social medias with hashtag start the conversation. You can also paint your fingernails blue. So it's just just your ring finger so that it's noteworthy. It's not your whole hands. And so somebody walks up and says, why are your ring fingers blue? And you say, well, it's funny you should ask, but mm-hmm. it's to raise awareness that one in four girls and one in six boys experience sexual violence before the age of 18 in America today. And from there, that conversation will blossom into all the, all the kind of uh, different tough and, and useful uh, conversations. And that's what we're hoping to, to do for folks. Excellent, man. Excellent. And then uh, what about Reston or you? Where can people, if they want to connect with you to learn more about the MSP work or the IT security or compliance, how can they find you? Absolutely. You, so you can find us at Reston.com. That's R-E-S-T-Y-N.com. Or you know, contact Kyle, and I'm sure he can put you in, in touch with me. Absolutely. Steve, it was an awesome conversation, man. It was really enlightening. Uh, I think people are going to learn a lot from this. So thanks so much for joining us and dropping your knowledge. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker and it is produced by Turncast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.